This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. Uh, so how many of you uh, really like the title of today's topic, the truth about senior living options for people who aren't ready yet? Raise your hand if you're an aren't ready yet person. Look at the room. Wow. All right. Good, 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 good. Aren't ready for what? question. I'm confused because Shannon and I can't wait. We got dates on the calendar. Okay. I have a couple of quick questions for you, and I'm going to show you a couple of pictures before I bring our panelists up, because I, I'm not speaking today. I've got our panelists who are way smarter uh, in this arena than I am, and so we're going to have them talk. But I want to share with you a couple of quick things. Number one, you have a handout at your table. You have a note-taking handout on top, unless you've shuffled your papers. And then beneath that, you should have a handout that looks something like this one. It's got colors on it, okay? And that could help you kind of follow the logic of when we talk about the different types of senior living options. And I've handed this out before, so you may have seen it. Uh, But it's just basically for you to refer to or reference uh, if you're not sure. All right. So I'm going to knock the... uh, the cobwebs off of our talk here today by showing you a few pictures. So this is uh, the Spanish Cove Touring Club. These guys take trips uh, in their new motor coach. They now have a new fancy, fancy motor coach that they take all over the country. Um, And then you've got their their exercise classes. These are real people that live there uh, in these pictures. These are not models. And they have a wellness department that does a ton of fitness stuff. And then this group here, they're having a little fun down the Oklahoma River. They have a dragon boat team. And we have two dragon boaters in the room. I'm going I'm to do a little shout out because I like to celebrate when people do good things, right? So stand up, Martha and Johnny are on the dragon boat team. And Martha and her team recently medaled in the regatta. standing up um, she said she had something to give to me today and I'm a little bit nervous about it so I I thought we'd just get it out of the way right up front okay all right okay all right so I have a set of hand towels washcloths and uh, hand towels here and the world's finest chocolates to go with. White towels and chocolates. The reason is because Martha took 41 towels with her. And so uh, we have a running joke now uh, about the Silers and their excessive use of towels. And so I get to be the benefactor of some Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. I will share these. We will put these at our office so that we will all remember. That is awesome. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Always fun. You can't, you know, you never know what Martha's going to do. So I... You know, that's the one thing we love about our, uh, 
our downsizing and mood management business, we really get to know people, right, on an intimate level, and then we get to see them regularly, and we get to jab each other about things. Okay, so uh, that's the Dragon Boat team with Spanish Code. What do I do with my clicker? Oh, here it is. Okay, so, <laughs> and then uh, this is uh, Concordia. These are folks that live at Concordia. Some of the ladies did a uh, project there. And you know, I think that it's really interesting when I look at these groups, like what they're doing, they're so happy, they're having so much fun. Um, and then they also have a lot of different health things. This is dragon, dra uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, pickleball, sorry, I kept, I'm back to the dragon boats. This is pickleball, and uh, these folks uh, are getting one of our clients, you know, out playing. And then they go out to the ball game uh, every year, at least once, I know, and, and all of them kind of go do fun stuff downtown. Um, and then they go back, this is the after party, right? Um, <laughs> right? Uh, and then over at Lionwood, who's going to be one of our guest panelists today, uh, you know, they have a blast over there. They bring vacations in. We call them staycations. They brought their casino night recently, and uh, that's always fun. And then they ob obviously always go out, too, so they'll take their vehicles out and go down to the ballpark or to the Thunder Games. And then uh, I had a fun little picture taken with, uh, he, this, who is this, what's his name? Uh, Jason Young, thank you, I always get it wrong. He is a country artist that uh, I know his music, but I didn't know who he was. And I walked in one day and they were jamming out in the lobby and people were dancing. And I thought, who in the world? And Arianne told me who it was and she said, go get your picture taken with them. <laughs> and they had so much fun. Uh, and they do that pretty frequently um, there at Lionwood. And so I just, I want to share those things with you because I think what happens is people get it in their heads that the people who live at retirement communities are retiring. Well, these people are not retiring. These people are out there having fun. Matter of fact, half the time, where's Frank Andrews? We can't even get a hold of them because they're busy doing something. And they just say, leave a message, we'll call you back when we can. You know, their schedules are busier than mine. So I wanted to share those things with you. So last but not least, I have a question. Has anybody in the room ever made a plan and been fully dedicated to the plan, 100%, and then the plan didn't work out? Raise your hand. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. <laughs> because I made a list. Diets, vacations that didn't happen, like the one you might have wanted to take to Sanibel recently. Um, a job or career that didn't work out, and what about marriages, right? We don't go into marriages thinking they're not going to work, right? But sometimes they don't. Okay, so there are things that are out of our control. Can we all agree on that? Yes. Okay, so whatever our best laid plans are can sometimes not work out. So is it a good idea to have a what-if plan? Yes. Say yes. Okay, good. Turn to your neighbor while our panelists are coming up. Y'all come on up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are going to learn something important today. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. So are you. Now turn back to them and say, you're darn right. Good. All right. Let's do this. You guys ready? All right. Are your mics on? All right. Perfect. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have these ladies just introduce themselves first, but I want you to share a little bit about who 
who you are, what role you currently play at the community that uh, that you work in. I'm going to start down here with Jill and work my way back. Okay. And uh, and then also, Jill, just kind of what your industry experience has been. Okay. Good morning. I'm Jill Huff. I'm the director of marketing at Spanish Cove Retirement Village, and I guess I came there back in 1995, so I've been there a long time. And my experience is I've got a master's in health administration from the College of Public Health at the University of Oklahoma. And it's been a great experience during COVID to have that public health degree, I will say, because I also received the title of public information officer. We had a, a whole new job description without a whole new job description. <laughs> yes. I like being director of marketing much better. <laughs> so, but yes, it's it, it's such a rewarding industry to be in. I'm helping people move in now whose parents I helped move in in the '90s. So. Yeah. It's so cool. Now I understand too. I don't. I don't want to out you if you weren't going to tell anybody this, but you're also going back to get a little extra education, right? Yeah. Can you tell uh, them that? Yeah. So I was asked to get my um, long-term care administrator's license. So we started that next next semester. So. Okay. All right. So. Which I have a degree in a master's in administration. So. All right. It'll be it'll be right. pretty interesting right. to have. You're just yeah. checking checking another box, right? Yes. Yeah. All right, Julie. Tell us a little bit about you. Oh, and where you're at. Yep. My name is Julie Davis, and I work for Concordia. And closer, Julie. Is that better? Yeah, okay. Um, work for Concordia, and I've been there eight years. And my journey was a little different. I actually started out as an activities director. I worked for the YMCA for a long time, and uh, just happened into a senior living community and said, "Hey, I teach water aerobics. Are you looking?" And uh, they said yes, and so. I took a tour of the community and I asked all kinds of questions and by the end of the tour they said, would you like an activities director position? I said, I don't know, what's that? So I got to be Julie the cruise director for a long time. Now this was down in Dallas. This was in Dallas, yeah. And uh, that turned into sales because I really believed in the lifestyle. And I just felt like it was an incredible opportunity for people. And that turned into a director's position, and that turned into a move to Oklahoma. And uh, now I serve as the marketing project director um, at Concordia. So I don't do sales any longer because I live in Texas still, but I work for Concordia. So um, COVID so changed everything. COVID changed everything, and like Jill, became a communications director. <laughs> so we all shift and, and change what we're doing. But um, I really enjoy it. It's been a lifelong uh, love and I get to do what I love every day. So. Right, and then the, also the job descriptions that you've had that don't get to be put on a certificate uh, involve some family uh, things. Yes, well. that is one of the things that you'll you'll note in, in our conversation today is I'll add a daughter's hat to this story a little bit uh, yeah. because of some stuff I walked through that caused me to move back to Texas. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like they should give us certificates for that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Polly, tell them a little bit about you. I know you guys have, they were education partners, Lionwood was a few years back, and then they took a little hiatus, and they should be joining us again next year. And so you guys have met Ariane from Lionwood, but Polly is their executive director, so tell us a little bit about so you. Guys. I'm uh, Polly Milligan. I'm the executive director of Lionwood currently. I've been there for about a year. I've been in the industry for uh, 25 years, uh, working in the industry for 25 years, but senior living is everything I've always done my whole life, so it's it's what I love. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you brag a little bit on your education oh. as well. <laughs> I, I want, I, I'm doing this, guys, they're a little bit embarrassed by this, but I want y'all to understand these are very smart people that are not just, they're not just in a role, they're educated in their mm -hmm. role. Yeah. So. I have two degrees in uh, long-term care business administration, 
and I have a master's degree in uh, healthcare management, and I'm currently finishing my doctorate's degree in organizational behavior. Uh, so this uh, is, I really put a focus on being the best that I can for the people that I serve. All right, so you guys understand why I put these folks on the panel, yes? Yes. Okay, so these, this is not a sales pitch. Those of you, by the way, I didn't do this. I normally do. Give me one second to digress. How many of you are new to the Senior Living Truth Series? Raise your hand today. Got some folks. Yay, great. We got some guests here. And make sure that when we're finished today, you all see Jake uh, back here. Those of you who brought a guest, remember you get a gift card for bringing your guests today. And Jake will take care of you back there. Um, so if you're new in the room, you need to know that these guys are not here to sell you on their communities. They're here to talk about communities in general. And then, of course, specifics if you have questions about their communities. But it's really more to give you some insight into what retirement community living is all about. Okay? So I'm just going to remind you guys, those mics, if you hold them like a rock star, they work a lot better than if they're angled down. So, right? There are spotlights. So when you do it right, it will blink. You'll know. All right. Yeah. All right. So first question I have for, uh, for these fine people are, when people come to your community for an initial visit, what typically are their reasons for showing up? Like, what problems might they be trying to solve or circumstances they might be dealing with that cause them to come and check out your particular place? So y'all been doing this a long time. What are some of the issues? Um, Julie, I'll start with you, and then uh, we'll go from there. Well, we have um, a couple of different options for folks, and I don't want to jump ahead, but I will say that, that the majority of the folks that come in to look for independent living, we find that they're planners. Most of those folks are people who are looking for an opportunity to know that their future is going to be taken care of. No one's going to have to make decisions for them, whether that's a spouse, because they want to relieve the spouse of that, that um, journey, or their kids, or maybe they don't have kids. And so they like the idea of a community that has everything, which is a CCRC, that's what we are, and that has everything from cottages to nursing care all on one campus. And that really appeals to a lot of them because they want to just know that it's one and done. We're not going to have to make decisions later down the road. We're not going to have to figure out where we're moving. Um, they like the control aspect of it. So they're not necessarily dealing with always having a current challenge. They may right. be thinking ahead for possible needs in the future. Right. I think home maintenance is another, you know, pull because they're tired of taking care of the house. Right. But but I do think that when it, you know push comes to shove, a lot of it has to do with planning. So yeah. all right. And I'll I'll go ahead and get Jill since you all have similar types of communities with all the levels of different op options. What primary reason do you see, Jill, that people come? So um, I, I would think the main reason is, you know, as we become adults and we get our careers, we we move into our homes with either by ourselves or with our spouses and with our kids and we have our house for that reason right so if we have kids and the kids are there and it's you make your house all about your kids and then the kids move out and then it's you and your husband and things change and sometimes it's just you and so I think that um, I've had people say to me I've always had my house for my family for my kids or for my spouse and now it's a chance for us to have it for each other like a new home together a new start a fresh start or, um, or for myself, like my playhouse. So I think it's an opportunity for kind of a fresh start to not have that big house that used to take care of, like Julie said, the upkeep and maintenance of a home, but also a, a fresh start to, to make the mature decision to plan ahead because at our community, 
99% of the people that move to Spanish Cove have to start out in independent living. So it's more of a want to move, not a have to move. And so people that come to our community are not the children. They're actually the adults, the seniors that are looking for options. Because it's usually a red flag to me if kids call or something like that because that means it's more of a have to move. It's not because you're planning ahead. So these are people that are moving voluntarily. Yes. Yes. Some decisions in advance before they have any health care needs. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Okay. So we'll because, talk about why that is. Right. Because we're a life care community. So we have the independent living, assisted living, memory care, skilled nursing, and long-term care all on one campus. And we guarantee that care to our residents who move into independent living first. So that's why they have to plan ahead. Perfect. Okay. So now, Polly, you guys are independent living, right? And um, people come to your community for very similar reasons, obviously. So could you add to that list some other reasons people show up there to say, hey, I'm interested in your community? I can, and I'm going to speak more to the current world we live in. Um, I noticed that the bigger population of people moving into independent living communities now or into a community at all is because COVID locked everyone down for over a year, and people realized how important it is to have somebody there if they're by themselves or if it's just the two of you, you and your spouse, it's important to have someone that can make all those other things happen. And that's where I've seen a lot of people start to make that choice to go ahead because our world's ever changing and COVID changed it instantly without us getting a warning and everybody was by themselves. So that's been the biggest part of what I've seen in the last few years. Yeah. And so do you ever see people uh, move in because they have a uh, let's say their spouse passes away and now they're there by themselves and they're looking for to be around other people. Do you see that a lot at your community? Every day, yeah. It's, yeah. it's You don't want to be by yourself all the time. Some people are comfortable being alone in a group of people and I see that a lot where they'll move there uh, into the community but they don't come out as often. It's just that peace of mind knowing somebody's there. Yeah. And we have a lot of single people too, but I think we have a lot of couples and a lot of couples move to our community. We have a ton of couples and I think it's because once again, they want to make a decision so that if something happens to one of them, there's a plan in place for the other one and they're not alone and having to do that by themselves. So I think that's um, a big thing too. Now, all three of your communities obviously uh, offer meals, right? So you guys have a dining service. Um, I've eaten at all their communities uh, regularly, as often as they'll let me. <laughs> um, but uh, I think they've cut me off this month. But so, you know, but, and I say that in jest, but not really, because Shannon and I, the reason that we're like circling in our calendars is because we don't really particularly like to have to cook or grocery shop or clean up after ourselves. And uh, any women in the room uh, are the cooks in their family and they're like over it? Yeah, all of you, yeah, right? And, and the ones that are sitting here that don't have spouses are like, it's not so bad now. <laughs> right? But, and so what about meals? Do you think people sometimes really and truly, it's, is it because they can't cook or don't wanna cook or is it more about the social aspect of dining with other people, what do you think? I think it kind of plays in both places. Maybe it's not the cooking as much as it is the cleaning. Because yeah. I love to cook, but I hate the dishes afterwards. Yeah. So um, I think it's social too, because I, I love whenever people come into a community and they table hop a lot and they meet everyone. Right. I think that's. I think it's important. I think it kind of integrates you into your new family. Right. Um, Breaking bread yeah, together. Yeah. Does it matter? Yeah. It, it really matters, and you really get a, an idea of who you're living with. Because when you 
move into a community and you've adopted a whole new family. Yeah. So it's yeah. good to get to know. They, they just had on the news, the local news this week, I don't know if any of you saw it, that people that eat with other people, they actually have lower blood pressure, heart disease, um, anxiety, depression. I just saw that. It was on the local news this just this week. I thought, well, that's really probably very true. You know, I had a, a lady years back way, when we first started doing this, even before we had booth management or anything, I remember a little bitty house over on Southwest, like 36. And it was a brother and his sister who lived together. She had epilepsy. And they had lived together for, you know, their entire adult lives. And they were uh, up in years. Uh, he passed away. She was the one with epilepsy, and she couldn't drive. And when she called, uh, she was moving to subsidized housing. And they called and said she needed help. And I said, well, why do you want to move, you know? And she said, well, I said, is it because you can't drive? Because that was what I thought. And she goes, no. She goes, I don't like eating alone, and I always had my brother to eat with me, and now he's not here, and I just, I sit here, and I don't really, I'm not hungry because there's nobody to enjoy my meal with, and I thought, that was very telling, right, in that moment, because there were a host of other reasons I thought she probably wanted to move, but that was the one that really made the difference for her. Yeah. yeah. Any other reasons, when we're talking about independent living, any other reasons that people move to independent living communities that I haven't named? Big, the big ones. I'm going to add activities. Okay. I mean, you saw, you know, a lot of what we have going on on the, the screen with all of our communities. And even if you're not a super social person, you start hearing about stuff. You're like, you see other people that are smiling and they've had a good time and they're talking about it at dinner. And it just makes you realize that there's a whole lot of stuff out there. And we get stuck in these ruts. You know, we do our same routine. We do our same routine. And that's not healthy. But when you have these activities and opportunities, um, I actually heard somebody talking to our um, lifestyles director the other day that she said, I think it's amazing that you have two and three things at the same time. Like people have choices. Like, you know, other, you know, other communities might say, oh my goodness, well we can't do that because we're doing this at this time, so we can't do this at this time. Why not? Not everyone's going to do the one thing, so do both, right? That, and, and the fitness. I think the fitness is another piece of it. because. How many of you would do fitness on your own, in your home, by yourself, without going somewhere? Oh, let's be honest. I've been in your houses and I need the clothes. How many of us have treadmill? Yes, exactly. Gym equipment that's either dusty or covered with something, right? So I think that's another plus, yeah. yeah. Anything else we haven't named? Uh, we did talk about housework, yard work, uh, maintaining the house, uh, those kind of things. Okay. So now, you all have mentioned that you're independent living and that when people move in, they're doing it voluntarily. Now, I mentioned earlier to the group how many people want to live in their house until they can no longer do that or until they have to move, which then becomes a health care issue, right? Because people need to have a need. So talk to me about that. If someone comes to your particular community and they're moving because they, I'm going to use the word have to or need to, um, what does that look like? How do you? What conversation do you have with them about that? And can they move to your community under those circumstances? So, uh, who wants to start? Yeah, it's, okay. it's a tough question to answer. Okay, so, so I'm gonna. I told you I was gonna put a daughter hat on, yeah. right? So I'm gonna put my daughter hat on, and I'm gonna share with you guys a little, just from a different perspective. Um, 
because I work in this industry, I had a conversation with my parents early on, just because they knew what I did for a living. So we talked about it. It was, you know, okay, my dad was one of those, I'm not going out unless it's feet first in a pine box. That was my dad, and he was serious. So then we had the conversation about, well, I don't want to live here if you're not here, and I don't want to live here if you're not here. So I said, so let me get this right. Neither one of you actually want to live here unless the other one's here with you, right? So fast forward, my dad has passed away. My mom is still living in their home. But, but one of the things that I feel is a huge blessing and is my encouragement to any of you that have adult children in your world is to have a conversation about what you deem a have to or a need to. What does that look like? Because you may be prepared to be a caregiver for your spouse. You may be prepared to not accept help from your children. Maybe you have a long-term care insurance policy that's going to pay for stuff. You have this plan in your head, but it's in your head. So you need to have these conversations with your adult children because otherwise they're going to ramrod things because guess what? You taught them to do that. They love you because they saw what you did for them. So they're going to turn around and try to take care of you. They want to help, but they don't know how to help if you don't have those conversations, right? So what looks like for us, um, we do allow folks from the outside to move into our assisted living and memory care areas uh, and our long-term care area. Um, it is primarily reserved for our life care residents, but if we have openings, we will pursue that with folks. So we get a lot of phone calls from adult children. Now, because of our heart and because of the way we view aging, we also very quickly involve the parent because you're not moving your mom anywhere. Yeah, you're not putting your dad anywhere. <laughs> so we're going to be real clear about that. So now obviously there are caveats to that. If someone's had a massive stroke and they can't communicate, that's different. But um, most of the time, the adult needs to be involved in the decision. And we want to, we want to make sure that we are right fit for them. So that's, that's what that looks like And so us. Julie, in that case, let's say the, someone comes in and wants to find a place for their parent, mm -hmm. um, that they're no longer qualified for your independent living part of the community, is that correct? That, for the most part, that's correct. Oftentimes, we'll have a situation where an adult child is just not, they, they're just worried. They don't understand what's going on at home, but they know it's not safe and it's not right. And once we do a little digging and find out what the concerns are, why are you saying that, you know, let's, let's learn about that first. Then we decide what the right thing is. Basically, we have an assessment, and I know Jill's community does too. We have assessments for whether you're appropriate for independent living or not. If you're a risk to yourself or others, you're absolutely not appropriate any longer. If you can't transfer yourself, if you need help, if you have cognitive decline to an extent that you're confused and don't know what time it is or how to take your medications, you're not gonna be eligible for independent living. It doesn't matter how physically able you are. It's more about your ability to navigate life and your daily activities of life. So, yeah. okay. so uh, Jill, let's speak to your community as well. Very similar to Julie's, but I know from my experience is that you don't always have availability in assisted living or long-term care. Um, right, right. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so at Spanish Cove, we do have every level of assisted living, memory care, skilled nursing, long-term care, but we do reserve it for our independent living residents. So most of the time, like a lady stopped by yesterday and she's looking for her mother in Kansas. And she's like, well, they, we toured here about 10 years ago with us, with you. And um, 
she just wants to know about the assisted living. Like, I said, oh, does she need assisted living now? She said no, but she just wants to move to assisted living. She wants to move when she has to move. And I said, well, that's not going to be an option for us. And so I I explained to her how it works, and she said she was going to go home and talk to her and see if she'll come for a tour again earlier. Um, Because if you want us to be an option, you do have to be really a planner and proactive. But yesterday I met with a resident who's lived at Spanish Cove over 22 years, and she's 90 now, and she needs to move to assisted living. And so we looked at apartments, and she's thinking about it. (laughs) So because even though we do have assisted living, we don't make people move. And so I I said, well, you know, you might want to hire somebody because our home health nurses are coming out to her apartment, and that's one of the things that's included. But we're all really concerned with her because we can't have a nurse with her 24 hours. You know, um, we definitely are going out there several times a day and checking on her. And um, they have pendants that, if activated, an actual nurse does come and respond, not somebody CPR certified, an actual nurse comes. And so, yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it is at our community. So now I'm going to shift gears a little bit, Polly. Now you've managed in the past, you've managed assisted living, but Lionwood is actually independent living. And so you might speak generally to the differences you've experienced between the reasons people move to assisted living versus, and qualifications, frankly, to the the difference between that and independent. Okay, so for um, a standalone independent living, it works very different because there's not another option that's on the campus. So having my experience in home health, home care, assisted living, and long-term care, being licensed to run all of those and having done that, Quality of life is my biggest thing that I'm going to look at. If you come to my community because you have to, I need to know why. And my marketer, Ariane, is absolutely amazing. And she loves and wants to help everybody. <laughs> she does. She is just right. She's because she likes unmatched. everybody. Yeah, she loves everybody. Um, and that's when I come in with, is this a right fit for your quality of life? Um, we don't do assessments because we're non-clinical. There's nothing clinical offered in our community, but I'm licensed as a clinician. So it's important to me that whenever you are coming into independent living, I don't have to worry about you in your apartment. You're going to be able to get up and take your shower and uh, fix your morning coffee and come down to the dining room if you would like to for your meals and come to activities. And I don't have to worry that you're struggling. So um, I do a conversation with anybody that comes into our community to discuss what quality of life actually looks like versus a need for care. So um, that, I think it's a little bit of a different process. Yeah, it is different and because you can't provide health care. That's right. right? And you don't have a nurse down the hall. That's there is home, none, yeah. Right? And so it's very much like living in their own home, only there's some services. We do the cooking and cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think when people say, and this, I'm going to go back to the title of our topic today, right, which is senior living options for people who aren't ready yet. When you're ready, and when I say ready, Julie, you hit the nail on the head. What is that? I ask people all the time, okay, what does ready look like? Right. And if you don't write that down, if you don't know what that is, that's a place to start. If you don't know what ready looks like, then that's a good place to start. I'm going to survey the room. And you're, you can raise your hand if you're, if you're willing to share, but I would 
those of you who raised your hand earlier and said, I'm not ready yet, tell me when you think you would be ready to move somewhere other than where you live now. Raise your hand if you'd like to answer. Yes, sir? I'm ready. Wife's not. You're ready, but your wife's not. Is your spouse with you? No. Okay. Well, what do you know what she would say if I asked her what ready would look like? No. No? Okay. So go home and tell her the question they asked me is, when would you want to do that? And see what she says. Because that's the question people are asking. Forever. Forever. Okay, good. All right, perfect. Yes, ma'am. I don't know. You don't know? That's fair. Good. Very good answer. Anybody else? Yes. So when you're tired of sweating in 100 degree weather with your outdoor stuff that you currently love is when you think, okay, I'll be ready to get out of my house. Thank you for that. Good. That's very clear. That's a very clearly defined uh, intention. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, yes. Newly to the widowhood, my wife died in May, and the big win for me is that I don't cook. tired of being there. The people that tell you to wait for a year, 
are not sitting in your house by your right. by your right. with you in the house alone, right? Eating the crappy food that you're cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Another bologna sandwich. <laughs> yes. Okay. Last hand. Just tell me when you would be ready. When I shouldn't. <clears throat> excuse me. When I shouldn't drive anymore. When you shouldn't drive anymore. Okay. So thank you for those answers. Martha, hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought. Okay, so so we've heard a few answers, right? Now, these are not the only answers we've heard. We've had other people tell us. What what are a lot of people waiting for in your experience, having been in this role a long time? I think what I've seen the most often is people wait till a disaster happens, and then they decide that it's time to make that change. What does a disaster look like for some people that you've seen? A fall, a car wreck, um, Something like that. Something that's major. A dementia diagnosis. That, yes. Um, it's, they wait for a disaster. And I tell people that I talk to a lot, that's the worst choice you could ever make. Because then you don't make the choices you want to make. You make the choices you have to make. And those are sucky choices to make yeah. sometimes. And a lot of times you don't even get to make those decisions. That's when your kids or the state, if you don't have kids, come in and they make your choices yeah. for you. It's so much better to make that decision when you can make it on your own yeah. than it is in the wake of a disaster or um, someone else taking that right from you. Because all dignity is lost when you lose your right to choose your home. I think that's well said. I don't think we even need to add to that. Okay, so let's talk about the difference between now we've talked about independent living, we've talked about continuing care, which is all the levels on one campus, independent living, which is uh, like you're living in your home, but you have meals and some housekeeping and some transportation and events. Uh, assisted living, tell me, maybe uh, whoever wants to, any of you can answer this, what does assisted living really provide? What is the reason for assisted living? What services do they provide there? So, um, the, the access to assistance with your activities of daily living. So define those. So if you are having um, stability issues and maybe showering is a concern, like falling, so you stop showering as often because it's really kind of a scary proposition to get in and out of that tub. Or um, let's say you're not able to really cut your meat up or your food up, so you stop eating that because it's too complicated, so you just eat oatmeal because that's easier. Or you know things like that. If you're not able to get dressed, let's say you've got arthritis really badly and you can't you know manipulate the buttons, um, you can't transfer uh, off of the toilet very easily. Um, you know there's a list of things. There's usually about six activities of daily living that we look at, and um, so typically people that move into an assisted living environment have some mobility challenges. They may have some cognitive challenges. Um, they may be what I call pleasantly confused. They're not. They're not a wanderer. They're not. But they may just, you know, not know what day it is. You know, kind of thing. But but otherwise, they're okay. Um, so those are our options that an assisted living can help with. Also, um, diabetic care is a really big one. Um, as we age, if, if we have diabetic issues and we're not able to care for those, being in an environment where that can be addressed, and not all assisted living have the ability to do that, so if that is a concern for you, you need to know that. Um, but those are those are a lot of a lot of the big ones. Okay, so, Polly. Yeah. Um, I I usually sum it up in a real simple sentence for everyone. If there is anything you need assistance with, then assisted living would be the one to assist you in that. Just 
just the use of that word. If you need assistance, assisted living can help you. If you don't need assistance, then that's an independent living. So wanting assistance and needing assistance are two different things, aren't they? Yes. So if you want help with someone to cook your meals so that you don't have to do it, that's different than not, like Julie said, not being able to do it and needing someone else to do it. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, Jill? So sometimes people will call and say, I want some information about assisted living. And like Nikki just said, sometimes they really just want information about independent living right. because they don't want to do the cooking and they want some more activities and they want access to things but um, also with assisted living like Julie said too n many assisted living centers offer different services so you should check things out because assisted living um, communities are not licensed to help people who have a colostomy bag you know they you cannot stay there even though you need assistance changing it. it's a state regulation so even though you might have a staff member there that can help do that you can it's against the law to stay there and also you have to be able to manage your bathroom affairs so even though you might be ambulatory but if you are incontinent and cannot manage that that is a long-term care situation okay so one more question on assisted living before we move to that long-term care conversation and maybe Polly um, since you've worked in assisted living there, as I understand it, two different levels of licensure in Oklahoma for assisted living. Is that accurate? Not that I'm aware of. Oh. Assisted oh. living is just the license as assisted living. Okay. Now, depending on the people that work within that community, different things could be done. Um, for instance, the colostomy care, like you're talking about, the nurse in a community is not allowed to manage a colostomy bag. However, home health can come in and manage that bag for you. So as long as it's not being changed and you are able to do that yourself, you could live there, but an outside source would have to provide that skilled care. That's the, the key word is skilled. There's certain things in the state of Oklahoma that are considered skilled practices and assisted practices. Assisted living would be helping you ambulate to the bathroom and you can do that all yourself once you get there. Um, but having to change a colostomy bag or a, um, a catheter bag or something like that, those are skilled practices that have to be done by a nurse or, or higher. Yeah, it's, um, and that's, uh, assisted living does not have a 24-hour nurse. Rarely do they have them. Sometimes they do, which is amazing. But for the most part, to keep costs down, that's not a normal action to have a nurse in an assisted living 24 hours a day. So in the event that you needed a skilled assistant at midnight, that's where assisted living could not help you. That's a great, great qualifier. Okay. And so one of the things that you brought up was a good point is when you're looking at places, you know, there are, you have to compare apples to apples. So. In a life care community, I can speak about Spanish Cove, but I think Concordia is similar. We always have nurses there. So we have nurse, nurses 24-7 that, that help our residents in independent living. They're always on the floor in assisted living and in memory care and in skilled and long-term care. So. And that's going to be the difference in many cases with a life care community versus a independent, standalone assisted living. And it depends on the ownership and the leadership and the finances, doesn't it? It does, and another thing I want to point out is a lot of assisted livings offer a um, age in place. You'll hear me use those words, age in place community, which is awesome, but that costs money, a lot of money. 
So an age in place assisted living means we will continue to help you with these things that aren't skilled, but the more help you need, the more money we're going to need to make sure that that happens because they have to employ people that can do those things for you. So in that event, a CCRC or continuing care community is your better advantage because they can just move you down the line and assist you with those things. It, it costs a little more the higher you go, but it's not like it is in assisted living where we can charge you those dollars for that skilled care that you're needing, but there's still only so much we can do. You can age in place as long as you don't need too much. <laughs> so I say, there's as long as. As long as you don't Tracely. need Yeah, and if you have like an open checkbook, because we had a couple move from Stillwater and a family member was paying $30,000 a month. Yes. Yes. They were paying for the assisted living center in Stillwater, plus round-the-clock care because their mother needed more care, so it came out to $30,000 a month for assisted living. Very few people can afford that. Very few. Um, so let's, let's talk about now the difference between assisted and long-term care because that's really what you're talking about here is the, the, the differentiation. So when someone needs that skilled nursing support um, and they go to long-term care, what does long-term care provide? Who wants to start? So, um, and I can speak about Spanish Cove. With our contract, um, you're guaranteed a private room in long-term care. So long-term care is for people that, we talked about assisted living, and it's a regulation. You have to be able to evacuate the building on your own ambulate, evacuate the building if there's a fire on your own. And you have to be able to manage your bathroom affairs. But when you get to the point where you can't get in and out of a chair on your own, or use the bathroom on your own, or evacuate the building on your own, that's a 24-hour long-term care situation. And so 24-hour long-term care is private pay, unless you um, have long-term care insurance or some veterans benefits. And if you don't have assets to pay for it, then you have to look at a Medicaid option. And do you guys accept Medicaid? We, we do not. We're all private pay, so. Right. Same with Julie. Yes. Right. So, uh, and so this is really, you know, it's interesting, and we've talked about this in previous seminars, you guys, the evolution of, of, of senior living. Assisted living used to be more like what independent living is now. It, it used to be everybody was pretty active. They just needed a little bit of help, maybe some meals. But then now assisted is almost what nursing care used to be. And long-term care is now almost like being in the hospital. It's like acute care, yeah. So, uh, and so most people don't go there until the very end, right? And, and they confuse it with skilled nursing care. Yeah. So, so often so people will, so, so often people will call up and say, um, I need skilled nursing care for my parent. Well, what they really need is long-term care because skilled nursing care is only available to people after they've been in the hospital for three midnights and their prognosis when they get released is that with some therapy, they will get better, you know, whether it's various types of rehab therapy. And you have to go to a licensed skilled nursing facility. For Medicare to pay for it. For Medicare to pay for it, yes. So, and it's with the hope of getting better to go back to independent living or to assisted living. But long-term care is something that happens when you're not going to get better. It's where you are and you're not, you can't go back to where you were. It's pretty um, high-level care. Right. You want to add anything to that, you guys, or did we kind of nail that down? Yeah. Okay, so one more level of care we'll talk about, and then I'm opening it up to questions. Okay. So memory care. 
Uh, memory care in Oklahoma falls under assisted living, right, under the licensure, but it's different. And so what if somebody at one of your communities now, at any independent part of your communities and at Lionwood, let's say someone develops um, pretty significant memory loss issues to where they are confused and they really can't manage themselves, then what? Where would they need, where would the best quality of life for someone like that if they can't live in a, in a private residence, where would that be? Okay, I'll, I'll speak on this. I've uh, managed memory cares for a long time. It's my favorite place to be. There's nothing more fun than memory care. I just want y'all to know that. <laughs> you can have conversations about the weirdest thing and everyone loves it. It's so much fun. I love it. So, um, for independent living, when I notice that a person is beginning to um, miss things that are really important, like where they're supposed to be, who I am, um, you know, when the meal times are, or their nights and days get mixed up, something like that. Um, depending on how independent they are with their um, showering and dressing and bathing and all those good things, I suggest to families, and I always have conversations with my families myself, because I can speak not only from experience, because I was adopted by a 67-year-old um, mother when I was nine months old. So I've grown up living this life 100% of the time. I had her and her two older sisters when I was growing up. It was the four of us in the house. It was so cool. Uh, we had so much fun. Um, but <laughs> we did. We had so much fun. But um, when I suggest to a person a secure assisted living, I'm going to tell you what that is. A secure assisted living means that you just can't walk out the door. There's a code on it. So if someone's going to meet you at the door and say, hey, Polly, what do you, is there something I can help you with before you walk out there into harm's way? So there's a checkpoint where you're still pretty well independent. You can live in assisted living safely because you can't just walk out onto the street by yourself and not be sure where you're at. If that point where you are still safe in that area, I would suggest that to you. But memory care is more for that moment when you don't necessarily, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, the phases of dementia that a person goes through, you revert back to childhood. So if you think you're 20 years old, you should be in memory care. Because you're going to, to navigate life like you're 20 years old, which could put you in harm's way. I can't tell you how many little people I've sat by the window and waited for the bus to drop off the children so that we could go get ready for dinner. Because that's the life they lived at 20 years old. So if you're at that point in life where you recognize that you're not who you are at this age, that's when your memory care is your best well, option. And the problem is they don't know that they're, exactly. they, they don't know. Everybody else knows that they're not 20, exactly. but they don't know that they're no. 20. Um, and so in that case, uh, there are different types of memory care uh, options, right? So there are standalone options, there are the ones that are affiliated with life care, um, and then there are those that I, I'm going to say are hybrid or question, I, I, they're like in an assisted living community, but they have like one hallway that's designated as memory care. If you guys could wave a magic wand and pick a perfect memory care scenario for someone, what would it look like? It would be a standalone small community. 
a big memory care is the most overwhelming, intimidating thing that a person that does not remember who they are can be. I would suggest a small, standalone community where over time they begin to learn who their neighbors are and who the employees are that are coming in. But when it's huge, right. it's, it's mind-boggling for them. And it's, it, that makes it a more sad transition and people tend to decline more at that point. And so how many uh, apartments do you have, Julie, in your memory care? So we have 16, and yeah. they are all private. And then there's you know, some back and forth on private, not private, but ours are all private. Yeah. So it is very boutique-ish. Right. And, and For that reason, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing I want to brag, we've got one really sweet CNA that works the evening shift, and she's been with us since we opened our doors 15 years ago. Wow, really? Long. That's how much she loves what she does. That's special. It's really special. Yeah, she's really sweet. So yeah. Jill, how many apartments in your memory care? You guys just uh, just built it. Yeah, we only have fourteen, and we only have one resident there. So <laughs> yeah. So with with Spanish Cove, um, you know, with us, memory care assisted living is really when people have a wandering risk. They they need assisted living, and they're a wanderer. But we don't really have the need for that too much. So. But you built it because. We, we're going to need it. Right, yes. Yeah. We okay. wanted to be prepared, yeah. yeah. Okay, so is there anything you want to add before I open it up for questions? Take a deep breath, because the questions are really good. All right. Okay, so I'm going to stand up. I'm going to field your question, and if you could make it as concise as you can, I'll, and then I'll pass the question back to these guys so everybody can hear it. Um, so, again, uh, you can ask anything you want to, and if they can't answer it, they'll just tell you we don't know. All right, what you got? Yes, sir. We've talked about different kinds of care, different kinds of licenses. Where do you find out where the different kinds of licenses are? And what agency with the government regulates okay. the Correct. various type of homes? Right. Uh, okay. Great. Thank you. So the question is, uh, licensure. How do I know which communities are licensed? What type of license? And what government agency uh, oversees those licensures? Is that fair? Okay. Who 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 knows the answer to that? Medicare. This is a quiz. Medicare.gov is your best bet um, to go to Medicare.gov. You're going to find that licensure, and then we all have to have our licensure available to anybody that comes in the building. So if you, um, what is your license for the CCRC? So we have a CCRC license, we have an assisted living license as well. So, um, and for memory care. And for skilled. So many, it's, it, that's a great question because Nikki really talks about this a lot. But many places will say, we provide skilled nursing. We provide assisted living. Well, anybody can say that because you could hire a 24 hour shirt, you could move there and right. get, hire a 24 hour caregiver and pay $30,000 a month and get assisted living. Right. But to actually say that you do, you have to have to have a specialized license. So you tell them, show me your license for that, or you can go to Medicare.gov if they're covered. If they are, right, if they accept yeah, Medicare, Medicare right, skilled, or the Oklahoma State Department of Health. Yeah, State Department of Health. Oklahoma State Department of Health. Holly. Yeah, the Oklahoma State Department of Health regulates all the levels in Oklahoma. Um, Medicare. Um, over, they, there's information on those communities there. I would suggest to anyone, if you're looking at a community, ask to see their survey results of their community. I've, I've done this, like I said, for 25 years. I currently hold zero deficiencies in all of my licenses. 
I think that's one of the most important things you can find. If you come into a community and they have an 80-page survey, you don't want to be there. <laughs> um, there's good reasons there's 80 pages in that survey. So that means they, that there's a list of things that's, that's wrong. wrong. Yeah, whenever the state came out, there's a lot of things that's wrong. Um, any community that you go. I'll tell you here in just a second. Any community you go into should be able to provide you their license yeah. and their surveys. Uh, in, in the question was, where do I find that list? I'm going to, in the follow-up letter we mail everybody, I will send you the online link for where to go for that. It's not easy to find. You, have, you can find it by Googling Oklahoma State Long-Term Care Surveys, and then you'll go to a page that you have to fit you have to know what you're looking for okay and so that's why I'm just going to send you the direct link to it and if Naomi has your email she can email it so all you have to do is click on it but if you get it in a letter you may have to do a lot of typing because I promise you it's not a short URL and, and we have a questions to ask booklet that we've always created over the years and on the back of it we do have the website and helpful names and numbers that you can look up the survey results and see how many deficiencies they've had. So we do have that at our table too. Perfect. Good. Good question. Yes, sir. Uh, the deficiencies, you mean? The inspections, the survey results, all that so let's just ask that question. So does the state health department handle all that? And Polly, what, what happens when they come out and do a survey and they have a list of things that are deficient? What, what's the process? Who handles that? Okay, the state department of health does handle all of that themselves. They have a survey team that they utilize. And then outside of the survey team, there's a, a team that reviews those surveys to cover what needs to be fixed. So whenever a community has an issue, a deficiency is the word that they use, that is documented to them in what regulation they did not follow. Um, and then they have to put together a plan that's tracked over several months time of what they did to rectify their deficiency and how it was fixed. And then at some point, usually three to six months, the state comes back out and resurveys to see if you actually fixed it or if you just put it on paper. Well, my, my question has to be who you go to to get that, and I think it's the state health so who do you go to to it get is. that information? Yeah. Yes, the state yeah. health department. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, any you, you can ask a facility. Oh, you don't like that word. I know, I know. <laughs> you can ask the assisted living community or the nursing home, and they're, they're required to give you a copy of it. So they have copies. They can make a copy of it to give you a copy of their most recent inspection so you can see if they have zero deficiencies or if they have you know, deficiencies and how they corrected it. Now, I'm going to address real quick and just have you guys tell me if this is true or not. So, I've looked at some of those surveys, and some of them are, uh, they're saying, I have no idea what that is. So, it's a, it's a technical thing, like a book that wasn't in the right place or something that wasn't uh, displayed properly. Yeah. But then there are care issues, like yes. there wasn't a medical, a technical person for medication on staff. What are some of the deficiencies you think are most common? Um, a lot of common ones are medication errors, where medication is given improperly or at an improper time or not according to a doctor's uh, order. Um, a lot of the deficiencies I've found have been in, um, in your clinical care, in what the nurses are supposed to keep documented, um, how those services are provided to you, 
um, that they're provided timely. That's a, a big thing. For instance, a person that's diabetic has to have blood work done on a certain schedule. And if that's not followed up on, then that's, that's a very common deficiency that I've seen. So who oversees independent living? The equal housing opportunity. That's, yeah. that's it. That's it. They're, they fall under the same rules and regs as any real estate product. It's a, it, there is no licensure for that. There is not, and there's not a license to run an independent living as well. Okay, um, okay yes, uh, in the back. Me? Yes, sir. I want to talk about money. Okay. I already make up a list of the costs. They'd be easy to do. I could ask any of you. Sure. How about the other side? Other than home mortgage, I mean, I don't pay a mortgage. Property insurance. Is there anything else I'd save money on? Is there anything you would save money on by moving to a community yes. that you might be paying if you live in a house now? Yes. Okay. Uh, good question. You guys want to take that? In a life care community, there is a medical tax deduction. So some people benefit from the tax benefits. And then they also benefit from, they kind of preserve their estate because they're guaranteed future care at a huge discounted cost. So they don't have to worry about paying the private pay rate. For, like nursing home care in the metro area is over $11,000 a month. And in a life care community, you do not pay anywhere near that. So I think really you could sum it up into the bills that you pay, your utilities, your uh, cable television, if that's something you use. Um, all of those things, you could. it's all put into one bill is really what it kind of comes down to. Your mortgage, everything, it all comes down to just you pay one thing and your groceries, your utilities, your your housing, everything is covered under that one thing. Yeah, and then of course you're not going to have the insurance expense or property yeah. tax expense. Right. Yes, Chris. Yeah, that's in real estate, that's the thing we see, you guys. That's my husband, Chris, who's <coughs> our broker, obviously, in our company. And so here's the thing people will say, oh, it's cheap for me to live at home. If I move to one of these communities, I pay several thousand dollars. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's all true until so you have to replace your HVAC system yes. or your roof or if you have a seawall because you have a lake behind you. Or or if you live like in a life care community, I had a resident say to me yesterday, well, I talked to Home Health. I'm having that procedure on Monday, and they're going to come and check on me three times a day, give me my shots, help me with my medicine, and have the nurse right there and not have to worry. The kids don't have to worry. Family doesn't have to worry about anything. The cost of, of care, and that's that's the issue that most people don't think about. So if you're sitting here now and you raised your hand earlier and said, I'm not ready yet, I live in my home, I'm perfectly fine here. And you probably are, and you probably will be for who knows how long. If at some point, like my uncle now, who needs in-home care because he has cancer and cannot do for himself, uh, late stage uh, terminal, and now we've got to hire in-home care, that in-home care cost is now added to his I'm staying at home cost. Does that make sense? Whereas if you're living in a community that offers health care, that cost is not extra anymore. It's kind of built in to what you're paying. So that's the that, that would be the big one for most people. I hear you talking about what's going to happen in the future. If you right. ride independent and you stay that way, 
Sure. That's fine. You're talking about the money you're going to save for medical stuff right. uh, that's going to happen to you. So right. Kind of so there, we don't have a crystal kind of ball. Prospective savings. Correct. Yeah, it is. You got, you've got current actual savings, and then you've got the potential savings, depending on your circumstances. If we all had a crystal ball, uh, we would we'd really be in great shape right now. But nobody knows what the reality holds, so you're you're betting either way. If you move into a community and you never need the health care, you're betting. And if you don't move and you stay in your home, you're still betting because we don't know. How many of you have house insurance? Okay, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. 70% of us will have to have some type of care before we leave this planet. We all want to just go to sleep and wake up dead. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Well, Julie, you know, I did that seminar earlier this year. If you don't want to live to be 100, stop going to the doctor, stop taking your medication, start drinking, start smoking, and stop exercising. But in, but in all seriousness, I want to be respectful to your question. The, the savings for folks that move that are not concerned about their health necessarily. My dad would have been in that bucket. He played golf four times a week. He was exercising weekly. All of that. Who knew he was going to have a brain tumor? So that you know that he was like yourself. He's a healthy guy, but um, but I think that the savings is going to be the, the maintenance of your house. I mean, you're just tired of paying to put money into your home that you're not going to get back out of it. Well, and I'm going to so. I'm going to play devil's advocate with Julie here. It, this to me isn't about money at all. Yeah. Uh, I've met with multiple people, a couple in the last two weeks, who have enough money. They have plenty of money. It's not about the money, it's about the hassle mm -hmm. that you go through to right. do those things. So I can afford a roof, I can afford a seawall, I can afford new carpet, I can afford a new hot water tank, I can afford to hire whoever I need to take care of my yard and so on, but do you really want to screw with that every day? And that's the question most people have to ask themselves. This isn't can I afford it, it's and do I really want to do it. So anyway, we're not trying to talk anybody into making that decision. These are just food for thought. Yeah. Okay, so I have two hands, Barbara, yes, and then I'll get yours next. Yeah, Barbara. Some years ago, you handed out a sheet that listed the cost, you know, like house, utilities, yep. and office, and you could add, see all these expenses. Right. So Barbara's asking for the sheet uh, on what are all of my expenses and add them up and then compare. Yeah, yeah we're happy. We could provide that. Sure. I think I know all the communities provide yes, that. Do, Every yeah. single one of them provides some version of that. Yeah. Very good. Yes, ma'am. Terminology. What is a nursing home? Okay. Terminology. What is a nursing home? <laughs> nursing home is a it's a mean word. Um, long, long term care is what's generally used now. That means till, the, till death do us part, we're going to take care of you, is what a nursing home is. Um, independent living is till you're ready for the next stage, we can have fun. Assisted living is we can still have fun, but we got to be there to help you. And then nursing home is till death do us part. Or as Frank Andrews says, there's the go-go, the slow-go, and the no-go. <laughs> Frank, I'll never forget that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yes, Tommy. Do all facilities accept long-term care insurance? Do all communities, because we don't like the F word around here, do all communities accept long-term care insurance? Yeah. So it depends on your policy, because 
if your long-term care insurance pays for home health care, then you can stay in independent living and receive home health care there. And if it pays only for assisted living or if it pays for every level, like long-term care, nursing home care, I'm sure Julie's the same way. We have nurses that will help fill out the paperwork to get it submitted, but yes. To answer your question, yeah, we do accept it. Yeah, the, the, the community itself does not have to, communities don't accept insurance. However, we support you in you utilizing your insurance by helping you with paperwork. Does that make sense, Tommy? So, so the community- so you can use it anywhere because you already own it. Um, you will just help you with papers. So the community or the insurance policy doesn't pay you directly. Mm -hmm. It yeah, pays you fill out the paperwork to help you get reimbursed for, for the under the terms of your policy. Did it's you know that like an AFLAC plan? So I, I guess the, the big question for everybody that's got long-term care, you got to look at your policy to see if it what it covers. And if it doesn't. You're not going to change because it's too late to change now. Right? The policy, right? Right. So but you need to take that policy, I guess, right. through the community. Right. And we all review policies all the time with people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to Tommy's point, uh, if you're if you have a long-term care insurance policy, now would be a good time to pull that sucker out. Yes. And if you're going to go to or any community. It would be a good idea to have them take a look at it. If you're thinking, oh, really good. I would ask if they have a background, like our friend does here, because not everyone in an independent living apartment complex is going to know what that policy says. Correct. Yeah. So I would just say, so tell me about your administrative background. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what this says. Well, it remains like you looking at it. Most right? of those policies have some sort of a gap. There's a, usually like a 90 day. <laughs> day or whatever the period is that you've got to pay yourself before it will actually kick in and so that's another thing they'll look at is you know how much you have to come out of pocket before they'll actually begin to pay so long-term care insurance is a whole different conversation for sure yeah what else I saw some other hands yes ma'am Thank you. I wondered if anybody was going to ask today. How much do you guys charge? Right? So I'm going to ask in a little different way. So it, Polly's will be pretty easy to answer. Theirs will be a little more challenging, so I'm going to have them give some ranges, okay, Polly? Okay, so for uh, independent living, what you're looking at is it all depends on the size of the apartment that you want. The bigger uh, the apartment, the bigger the charge. So um, Lionwood, for instance, uh, runs between 1700 and 2400 and so 1700 for a smaller apartment a studio apartment a 2400 um, would be like a two bedroom two bathroom and then what if there's two people in there uh there's a small upcharge um six i think it's 600 or so six, around 600 dollars a month for a second person to live there and is that a um, yearly lease it's month to month month to month lease. Yep. And by the way, guys, keep in mind too, I'm going to go ahead and ask you a follow-up question. Okay. So are there ever rent increases and how does that work? Every senior living community across the planet has increases and they range between 3 and 10% every year. So whenever you're moving into a community, you really have to think about those increases. Never move into a place and use every dollar you got every month 
to pay your rent at those places because the next year it's going to be about $70 higher. Okay, and so for the second person fee, would you say that primarily is for things like meals and... Yeah, it just covers know. the meals and the, um, the extra, I say the extra use of utilities or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So Julie, you and Jill have a little more complex product line, let's call it that, right? Yeah. So uh, you, you go ahead and start, however you want to explain it. Yeah. So um, CCRCs are, are different, as Nikki said, um, and so both Jill and I will tell you, we've got multiple contract options. So that's really going to drive what the cost is going to be, is dependent on um, what contract would be most um, viable for you as an individual. Sometimes that's based on whether you have long-term care insurance or not. Um, it may be based on um, your, the way that your assets are set up. So there's a lot of different caveats that kind of weave into that. Um, Range-wise, the monthly fee would be somewhere from $2,000 a month to $6,000 a month, and that depends on what type of unit you have and whether there's multiple people living there, um, and then what contract type you've picked. Um, entrance fee-wise, it runs anywhere from $100,000 to about 400 and some change. So again, depending on what type of contract. Um, the guaranteed life care product is going to be a more expensive option, but you're going to have guaranteed care for the rest of your life, and the cost of your care when you move to the higher levels of care is more equalized. So you're not paying these spikes like Joe was talking about, you know, long-term care is $11,000 a month. You're not paying that. You're not anywhere near close to that. So it's, it's very similar. The life care product is like a kind of like another insurance policy. It really is. We call it an assurance policy, but, but we are, but we do have to follow the same guidelines. I mean, we carry our securities license for that reason. So, I mean, it, it is, yeah. So if someone's going to come to your community and take a tour, and I, I hear this a lot from people when Jill or Julie or someone in a life care program says, oh, there's an entrance fee, and let's say minimum $100,000, they go, oh, 99% of the people I meet with about selling their home that's going to move to a community like that are taking their home equity and they're reinvesting it in their their new residence right. at their community, and Valerie was... Val is a retired realtor and we met early on uh, when I was meeting with Julie and her team about this and Val just she put it so succinctly she said Nikki I sold my house and I reinvested my equity in my new house at Concordia mm -hmm. and I thought that was brilliant on her part because she was basically paying for her life care there and peace of mind uh, so range wise uh, a lot of people use their house to buy it, right. and then Jill give us a range minimum kind of. Sure. So it's like a real estate healthcare transaction. So there's the buy-in or entry fee. Right. Ours starts at around ninety thousand and can go up to about three hundred thousand. Our monthly fees start at about twenty six hundred and can go up to sixty five hundred, depending on the larger the space, the a single person versus a couple. Just yeah types of contracts, there's refundable contracts, there's non-refundable contracts. So there's so many different variations. Yeah. And then you're, you guys don't have an entry fee at Lionwood. You have a upfront, like they call it community fee. fee. Uh, yeah. And what do, is that? The community fee is basically the dollars you put forth for us to make your apartment ready for you to get it. Um, I try to be very careful to meet specifics um, for an apartment so that you're comfortable in it, what type of floor you prefer, um, even down to a paint color, things like that. We try to be make it as home as we can. 
So that's where those dollars come into play. And what is that? Is that a thousand or two thousand to move in? Um, generally, it's fifteen hundred. That's what our advertising is. But every month we do a different special that essentially can wipe that out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask a question of these guys that's not on their list, so I apologize. Uh, you all answered very well, but. So for the people in the room who see senior living options as a commodity, all of them are the same. And they're price shopping. And they're gonna to go to the cheapest place in town. What caveats do you have for them? What are the things they should think of when they hear cheap? You get what you pay for. <laughs> and uh, not, not so much in a bad way, um, but really it's, Whenever you walk into a senior living community, as much as you possibly can, I think it's important that you put the dollars out of your mind. You have to go in and see how it feels. What does your gut tell you? What does your heart tell you? Because you're not going to fit everywhere. You're not going to fit anywhere just because it's the right price. You're going to fit according to how you feel. And you're adopting a whole new family of generally about 150 people that you're going to see every day at their best and their worst. So you, it's a learning curve for both sides. It's a learning curve for me to learn about you and what functions well for you. It's a learning curve for you to learn about me and how I, I manage my communities. Um, so it's, it's really how you feel. As much as you can put the dollars aside, put them aside. Because the aesthetics of that community and how it looks and um, how fancy it is or how nice the carpet is or whatever is not what's going to be making you feel good every day. Now, I'm going to, uh, again, play devil's advocate here because what you, what you get what you pay for kind of thing. But I will say there are a few communities here in town that are extremely high priced, mm -hmm. and I would move my parents. Right, yeah. And there are some communities that are on the lower end that have really great care and great management. Yeah, right. So money, really, you cannot you yeah. cannot make that decision based solely on price. You just can't do it. You really can't because you're paying for the building. Right. The building doesn't love you. <laughs> whatsoever you can care less you are paying for the building that's where your rent money goes how it feels is what you want to move into yeah and however though in a life care community you do have to qualify medically and financially so when you're looking around you know I, I know Julie probably feels the same way we don't want to waste anybody's time and because it takes a lot of time to go out and take a tour and really try to understand a place, but you do have to qualify financially. And with a life care community, there's a, a clause in the contract and we have a benevolent fund. So if somebody does, if a resident is accepted and moves to Spanish Cove or Concordia to a life care community, there's a clause in the contract that if they do outlive their assets, they will never be asked to leave. So they can live there for the rest of their life regardless of what happens to their money, as long as they haven't Given it away, or you know, just spent, spent it. Can't go to the casino and blow it. Yeah, but I mean, there is that security. Okay, last question back here in this corner. Yes, ma'am. Uh, community where they're paying the entry fee uh, and you for whatever reason have to leave 
uh, choose to leave or have to leave or pass away, I should say, probably, what happens to that money? It's, it will depend on the contract option that you chose, okay, first off, and how long that event takes place after your move-in, okay? But I will say that even with our 0% um, uh, refund, it's a, a declining balance, so it's not an immediate loss of funds. If you moved in, you've got 45 months for that to decline, so you're not going to lose all of that money right up front. Um, and we have had people, I mean, both of us have had people, she's had people who've moved and come back, so, and I have too, so right? Yeah, so, so, um, so, but it does happen, and there are people that even, they want to, they think they want to retire here because their families, your friends are here, and then their kids move somewhere else, that kind of thing. So it happens. And I tell you, what I love about all of these communities is, and not, this is not true of all of them out there, I'll just be honest with you, when you come to their community, they're going to ask you a lot of questions. They're going to find out what is, what are your goals, what are your plans, what are your current needs, what is it that you're looking for, and they're going to see if it matches up, right? And they're not going to try to sell you something that doesn't match up for you. And they will tell you if it doesn't seem like it will fit, let me tell you what might fit for you. I'm going to give you some other ideas. Because they're not going to, they're not salespeople and that they want you to move in there just so that they can cash your check, right? They have to live with you. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah, so that's a very important feature. Okay, so here's, I'm, I'm going to stop the questions only because we're at the top of the, uh, at our time. These folks are going to be here for a few minutes. They're going to answer questions. Uh, we're back here at these tables. So Spanish Cove, Concordia, and Lionwood are back there. Julie, uh, Kelly's back there. And there are some folks that live here, or live here, live there that are here as well. The Thomases, you guys just moved to Lionwood like two weeks ago, right? Wave your hand so they can see where you're sitting, yeah. Um, the Silers live at Spanish Cove. Raise your hands, the Silers. Um, Frank Andrews back here lives at Bradford Village, which is not one of our panelists today, but they're an education partner. And, my, and where's, who's some of my other folks that are living at a community that I may not have mentioned? Are the Youngs here? There you are, the Youngs, back here from Concordia. Okay, so there are some folks here that if you want to grab them uh, over at their table and ask them questions, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Okay, I'm going to dismiss you guys, and I have two announcements. So can we give them a hand? Before you go running over there to ask them questions, which I encourage you to do, um, were they not smart, right? Like, I just so appreciate having people that really understand that this is a big decision. Next seminar on the first, those of you who still have questions, that's a good place to go to get those questions answered. It'll be a smaller venue. We can only get 40 or 50 people in that room at the library. So you have to RSVP, and if you're not going to be there, cancel and let us know so we can put people in the room. Um, then the next one here at Quell Creek is the truth about leaving a legacy. We're going to talk about ways that we can be remembered positively. And some of you may not care about that, but I do. Um, how we're remembered, some ways that we can do that uh, when we're gone. And then um, if those of you who asked me last month and I forgot about the Downsizers Club, if you are not ready yet, but you think you're going to be ready to downsize and move to a community, say, in four or five years or less, and you go, I'm going to do it. I just have some things to do first. 
We have a club for that. We have a club that meets monthly, and all we talk about is the process of downsizing. Um, the Thomases graduated from it. The Silers graduated from it. Frank ha happened, happened to help me create it because he was right before we started it. Um, and so were, uh, so were you guys, I think, right? Yeah, right? Okay, so here's the thing. Join it or don't join it, just know it's there. And we're taking new people starting uh, next month. And so, last but not least, is that not just the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life? If that doesn't make you smile today, nothing will, right? All right, so do me a favor. Fill out the evaluation. Make sure you answer the question in the box. You do not have to put your name on it if you want it to be anonymous. You can put your name tag on it if you'd like to not have to fill out the information. Did I cover all the housekeeping, ladies and gentlemen? Yes? All right, give yourselves a hand for being here today. <laughs>